Okay. <laughs> well, we are in Romans chapter 5 uh, tonight. We're moving, moving through Romans. Uh, now, before I get any expectations up, we will probably not even finish two verses tonight. We got a lot to look at in just these first two verses. Uh, but it's important. I want to slow down for this because tonight, if I do this well, and I'm really praying that I do it well for you all, you should leave here with an understanding of the wonderful assurance you have in Jesus Christ, okay? And that's what I want you to leave with tonight, that you have this great assurance in Jesus Christ for your salvation, for your standing before God, for the hope of being with God in eternity. And so that's what we're going to be getting into tonight. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into Romans 5. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for that wonderful worship. And Lord, to remind ourselves of your faithfulness, it's always good to set an Ebenezer stone. And truly that song is an Ebenezer stone. That God, you hear our prayers and you answer us and we are thankful. And now, Lord, as we open up your word, we ask that you might teach us. Give us the instruction we need. I pray that you might encourage each and everyone who's here tonight We thank you, Lord, that in you we find redemption, in you we find forgiveness, in you we find propitiation, and that you've totally cleansed us and removed our sin. So we thank you, Lord, that you've made peace with us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Propitiation, that's fun to say. We won't really look at that tonight, but it's fun to say, so you can say it, propitiation. Okay, so we are in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read 1 and 2, and then we'll get started with the study. We're going to do a little bit of review of where we're at so far in Romans. Now, I handed Manny the list of scripture references, and he started laughing at me. Uh, And the reason he laughed at me is because it's a lot. (laughs) We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture tonight, quickly referencing. So in order to stay awake in tonight's Bible study, I encourage you to get those thumbs ready and your Bible ready and be ready to search through. And and we're going to try to really have a good understanding of this. So, And we'll see if I get through all my scripture references. Manny, I can do it. (laughs) So, All right. So let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, these two verses, to me, are probably the best verses in the entire epistle of Romans. These two verses, and and they should really be for you as well, because these two verses give you three promises that you receive from f- by by trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. I'm going to read it one more time. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
Now, I don't think we're really going to be able to touch on the hope of the glory of God. We're going to just briefly mention it tonight. We'll probably have to save that for next week, depending on how the time goes. But um, this is an incredible passage for each and every one of us who have made a decision to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, if you are trying to investigate Jesus, you're trying to understand what this all means, I hope this will be a wonderful promise and passage to you as well because it really lays out the, um, uh, the, what, what we receive as, as from the gospel, believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's start with the very first word, therefore. Now we've seen therefore throughout Romans already a few times, and we're going to go back and look at some of the key therefores. But the first thing I want to point out to you is that Paul, when he writes He's not going to write very, like, poetic, emotional words. That's not Paul. Paul writes arguments and brings them to conclusions. Okay? So Paul wants you and I thinking. He doesn't want us just feeling good when he writes a letter. And I know that's hard because we all like to feel good. We all love to read something real moving and riveting and things like that. Now, I, I think we can be moved by these words, but really Paul wants you to think about this, and he not only wants you to think about it, but he wants you to understand how God does this, okay? It's important to Paul that you understand it. So the word therefore is a word that helps us understand that we've hit a conclusion of a logical argument. So uh, maybe uh, in math, you've done a proof. How many of you guys loved proofs in geometry, right? That was like the worst time of high school, trying to learn proofs. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, you might, we might just do it real simple. If we take two apples and we add two more apples, therefore we have four apples. So it's a logical conclusion uh, trying to help us understand something. So let's just for a moment back up in Romans and just do a quick review of some of these therefores. Now, the first thing I want to start out with is actually an introduction. This isn't a therefore, but it's the purpose, I think, of the epistle. And that's in Romans 1, uh, verse 16 and 17. If you remember, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul is giving us the purpose for this epistle, that we might understand that this gospel message is the power of God for salvation, and it's not just for the Jew, it's also for the Greek, uh, and that, that it, the righteous will live by faith, that we're justified by faith. So that's where Paul is starting, and then he begins arguing. Now, from chapters 1 through 5, 5-1 five, is the conclusion of where he's been arguing, what he's been help, trying to help us understand, and that's that justification uh, fr- from God only comes through faith in God. So the first therefore that I want to point out, that, and, and like I said, there's a lot more therefores, but we're just going to hit some of these top ones, is verse 24 of chapter 1. Uh, and this is a conclusion regarding pagans and unbelievers, 
okay? Pagans are those who worship many gods, and then those who are unbelievers. They, maybe they say, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic or whatever the case is. And, and Romans one twenty four gives us a therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness and their lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And so what, what Paul is arguing here was that man in his rejection of the truth of God and his refusal to give thanks to God was turned over into a mind of depravity. God gave them over to this uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And of course, we went through a whole, uh, there's a whole listing of sin there in Romans chapter one. And we saw that uh, there was a, a, the result of sin was a depraved mind, a continuation in sin, and a continue of rejection of God. Well, uh, so Paul basically argues that these pagans and unbelievers, they actually need to be justified by faith. Then we move on to chapter 2, verse 1, for the next therefore, and this is his conclusion regarding those who are moral people, because he, con- he compares morally good people with the pagans and the unbelievers. He says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge, another Whenever you, whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And so, wait a minute, that's not fair, Paul. I'm supposed to be the good person. I'm the moral person. I'm the one who's morally good. Well, Paul says, well, guess what? You're no better than the pagan or the unbeliever because you yourself also break the law of God. And everything that you try to judge, you're going to find yourself just <laughs> practicing those same things in some way. So, for instance, when we looked at Romans 1 and we see that, uh, that there was these who gave themselves over to sexual immorality, we also see that there's those who gave themselves over to covetousness, lying, whatever the case is. And, and all of these are ending up with that same torment. So, we move to the next therefore. That's Romans 2 and verse 26. And this is Paul's conclusion regarding the righteous who are, don't, don't practice religious or ritual things, okay? This is the righteous who don't practice circumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Of course, Paul is asking this question, if this Gentile keeps the, 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 the requirements of the law, wouldn't you actually count that as circumcision to the Jew? And uh, basically just challenging them that if, if someone could keep the law, they'd be really at the same place you are. Of course, we can't keep the law. So Paul moves on to his next conclusion, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so this is his conclusion regarding your and my inability uh, to be justified by the law because we can't keep the law. So the reason why the law was given to us is that we might have knowledge of sin, that, that we might understand our status as an enemy of God. See, we have to recognize and understand that God is a holy God. And, and I know we want to believe that God is just like us. But you see, if for God to 
interact with sin, that would actually soil him, his being. He can't do that. He's holy. He's pure. And so God is not going to just allow sinners into his presence because you are a sinner. You are a sinner. You're stained. You're immoral. You're unclean. You're impure. In fact, we know that sinners are actually in, uh, at enmity with God. Okay? They're, they're actually in uh, conflict with God's way. Okay, so, so Paul says here in 320, uh, therefore, the deeds uh, of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we learn that we have sin by the law. All right, Romans 3.28 is another therefore. And this is Paul's conclusion regarding our faith apart from the law. So now that it, Paul has taken us through and shown us that we're all sinners, that, that we need to be justified, and he, he's bringing it to the fact that but you're justified by faith. So therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So that we have to trust in someone else who can fulfill the law. Then we move to Romans 4.16. Here's another therefore. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So here Paul's therefore is helping us understand that this isn't only for the Jews. It's not only if you have a Jewish mother that you get to receive this forgiveness, but it's actually for everyone, whoever has been born of Abraham. And of course, we can be born of Abraham through Christ by believing in Christ. All right, and then finally, or sorry, I've got two more. Romans 4.22 says, And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. What was accounted to Abraham as righteousness? Belief in God. Because he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. And that brings us to today's therefore. Today's therefore is therefore having been justified by faith. Uh, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment and just speak about this for one moment, that we have been justified by faith because we believed in Christ, because we've, we've trusted in the work of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ died once for all, for all sinners, okay? So he, he uh, sacrificed himself. Jesus Christ was able to live the perfect sinless life. He was actually able to live a life that pleased God. And then he took our sins upon himself on that cross. And remember that word that we kept coming up in the last couple of weeks, imputed. He imputed to us his righteousness. He gave to us his righteousness. And in return, we gave him our sin so that he might pay the price for that sin. And so as a result of that, we've been justified before God. And that's an amazing idea that God, who is holy and perfect and good, that he's perfectly just, okay? And really, I should just say God is just, but oftentimes when we think of someone who's just, we can only think of a, 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 a judge today, and they make bad decisions at times. Um, and the idea here is that if God is just, that means he must always do what is just, okay? He's always got to serve justice, and, and you and I, 
we know are condemned in our sins and transgressions. That, that it's not that we may go to hell, but that we are absolutely headed to hell. That, 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 that is the place, that is where we are locked into for our destiny is hell because of our sin. But because of Jesus Christ, we've now been justified. Our sin has been paid. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? Anybody remember what he said before he gave up his spirit? It is finished. To tell us die. Um, it is finished. The work is finished for you. All the sin has been paid for, and you have now been justified when you believe in him by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 57.20 says this about the wicked. Life outside of God is this. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Uh, our family, we finally used our 2020 trip to Hawaii. We went to Maui for the first time. We actually left, came right before the Christiansons, or right after the Christiansons left, we arrived. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about going to Hawaii is snorkeling. In fact, I was trying to make sure my kids were ready to snorkel before we got to Hawaii. So we went out at Laguna Beach one day, and I just wanted to make sure that Lucy was swimming and everything was good on mask and everything like that. And uh, to my surprise, she did really well. But, you know, when we first got in the water, it's kind of like, are there even fish in here, Dad? You know, like we're swimming around. And then finally they saw Garibaldi, you know, the orange California state fish. And they're like, a fish? There's a fish. There's one fish here in this whole ocean. It's amazing. Uh, so... And, uh, and I think Lucy almost swallowed water trying to tell me she saw a fish, you know. And then we saw a few other fish. Uh, but the water was, is, you know, like even on a good day in Southern California, you get like 8 to 10 feet. I think that day it was like 5-foot visibility. So you're, it's just so murky until you're like right at something. You can't really see what you're looking at. But we get to Hawaii in Hawaii, the, the, the water is so clear and clean. In fact, actually, there was a south swell that had come through right before we got there. So I guess it, it was murky for Hawaii. But murky from Hawaii still looks like clean glasses. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but, uh, and, and so swimming there in Hawaii, it was like there's more than a fish there in the ocean. There's actually lots of fishes in the ocean. And, and, and then you can look out and say, oh, there's a sea turtle, and there's a sea turtle there, and sea turtle there, and there's more fishes, and it's just amazing. And, um, but here when it speaks about the wicked, it says the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. This stormy sea there is absolutely no visibility in. It's completely tumultuous, and, and um, it's not pure or clean or peaceful. It's, it's uh, troubled, and there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And, and that's one of the problems with being in our sins and transgressions is even though we may have times of rest, we actually have no peace, especially when it comes to the grave. When we think about the grave, it just robs us of every bit of peace we might have because we know that someday we're going there. And, and we don't know what's going to happen. We might be like Hamlet who says, uh, to, to, to be or not to be, that's the question. Because it seems like it might be peaceful to, to, to die, to, to not be. 
But the problem is, as Hamlet said, what dreams may come? That's the troubling part. I don't know. So I guess I'll just have to survive this life. As Hamlet is wrestling with his turmoil in the play. Um, I might be just getting too poetic here. But <laughs> nonetheless, um, uh, what, what we know is that, that, that there is no peace for the wicked. So what do we have from God? Well, that's what this says is that because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Because we, um, look at uh, what kind of peace do we experience? And this is important to ask ourselves is when the Bible speaks of peace, what kind of peace are we speaking of? So there's a couple different ideas of what peace is. You know, there's a feeling of tranquility. You know, maybe you've been on a hike and you've gotten to a place that's really beautiful and you feel a sense of peace overlooking that, that overlook and you're just, wow, it's so beautiful. Um, I remember getting to the Grand, remember the Grand Canyon with my wife the first time and, and I said, I only got one word to explain this, it's grand. That, that's it. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> It's so grand. <laughs> uh, but, but it's just amazing when you see those, those things and you have that feeling of tranquility. Of course, with that same feeling of tranquility would be what Eastern religions offer when they speak about meditation, right? They speak about emptying your mind, getting everything out of your mind, and having a sense of tranquility. Well, the problem is life resumes, and there's no lasting peace. And the Bible is not talking about a feeling of peace or tranquility. You see, the Bible is talking about peace with God. Now, there's two pieces that the Bible speaks about. There's peace with God and peace of God. Uh, peace with God is a result of our standing before God, Okay. It's a result of our standing before God. Now, I know this is a lot of words, and it's kind of complicated, and I'm forcing you to think. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was coming to church, not a lecture. But hear me out for a moment, and just stick with me. You see, the peace of God comes from peace with God. And here, we're speaking the, the fact that because you have been justified, we have peace with God. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of, of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so this is the peace of God. This comes from already having a right standing with God. Now, if you don't have the right standing with God... You can't have the peace of God. See, here it's saying in those times of, in those time of need, time of turmoil, time of trouble, or just whatever the reason, present everything to the Lord God. And then as you, after you've presented these things before God with thanksgiving, you're going to see the peace of God come over you. You're going to receive that peace of God. And by the way, look at verse 7 one more time. It says, and it will guard your hearts. And the word guard there is is to, to fortify your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So, but you can't have that. That sounds so good. We all want that, but we can't have that until we have peace with God. You see, peace with God that Romans 5.1 is speaking about is speaking about a 
ceasing of hostility. That, that means that you and I are hostile to God. Now, you might say, well, I don't actually feel like I'm hostile toward God. I don't feel like I'm, I'm angry at God. Then I would say this, you do not understand sin. And you do not understand the holiness of God. That God absolutely abhors sin. That, that because of sin, the Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. In fact, in Romans 6, we, we read that the, the wages of sin is death. So Romans 3.23, which we've already read earlier on, said, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, can't you just overlook this one sin? No, because that is what you are marked by now. And God abhors sin. You are an enemy of God. You have hostilities with God. That's what the Bible is telling us. And so, so when we, in Romans 5.1, when it says, Therefore, we having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What we are seeing here is that there is only way that peace can be received. And that is by the work of God that man might receive that work. That, that as God reaches out to man, man might actually bow the knee. That he might humble himself and, make, and, and, and receive the peace that God is making with him. Now, I, I was real careful the way I was wording that because... We, uh, in my head, I have this because it's a wrong idea, and so I almost said it. But uh, you, we've heard the term, make your peace with God, right? Well, uh, that's a false idea. You cannot do that because you are the hostile one. You are the rebellious one. You are the one in hostility with God because you are the sinner. So you cannot make your peace with God. God has to make his peace with you. And that is exactly what God has done. He's made his peace with you. All this is to say is that God loves you very much. And we could sum it up really easy with John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have eternal life. Wow, isn't that amazing? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That's beautiful. That's we receive that peace uh, with God, from God, because God makes peace with us. So here's some verses that support this idea. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this in your Bible or write it on a note sheet, but let's go through these real quick. Colossians 1, 20 through 21 says, and, the, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Um, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. So you see what we were before Christ is we were alienated and we were enemies and in our mind by wicked works. So that was our status before, but now by Jesus Christ, he has made peace with us through the blood of his cross. Jesus is the peace offering. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. So when I use that word, propitiation at the beginning that, I don't know, $2 word or whatever it is. Uh, it, what it means is that we appease God. That the, the, it's an offering, a sacrifice that appeases God, but also removes away sin. It's an atonement for sin. And that is what Jesus Christ is for us, the peace offering and the justification. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God, and look at this, 
one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So what is a mediator? A mediator is one who stands in the middle between two parties at, at war with each other, two hostile parties. And the mediator comes in to, to, to reconcile the two parties together. And that's who Jesus Christ was with us. That's why Jesus Christ came and was born a man and died on a cross for us. Ephesians two fourteen through 16 uh, Paul writes, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That, what a beautiful, we're, back up one, the middle wall of separation is so beautiful because obviously we get a picture of the Holy of Holies, the, the entrance into the Holy of Holies, that, that separation between us and going into the throne of God and being present in God. But we also see that, that there's this idea here that you and I actually can't even get to God. So just for a minute, picture the Grand Canyon because it's grand. And, and, and on one side is us. And, and on the other side is God. And, and on our side, a giant earthquake is happening and the edge of the canyon is falling, fa- falling off toward our feet and, and behind us is a giant flood coming. I know, it's a great disaster movie happening right now. <laughs> Do you guys like disaster movies? I love the disaster movies, like the whole world ends. Like, uh, I remember one time watching with the youth group and Ben gave us these, uh, these old life vests for planes. And so we, we, we handed them out to watch, like, it was like 2012, the movie or whatever. And we handed everybody a life vest, and we're all watching the youth room. And finally, by the end, we just popped our life vest, you know? So, anyway. So my, in my disaster movie, you're trapped on one side. Certain death is coming for you. On the other side is God. But the problem is there is no bridge that can cross that gap. And you can try to cut down all the trees you want. You can try to throw rocks to fill up the Grand Canyon. It's just not going to happen in your own work. But finally, praise God, he makes a way for us by that wonderful cross that extends across the Grand Canyon. And it makes the bridge for us breaking down that middle wall of separation. Go on to verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, I always say that backwards, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And there's this idea of an incredible beautiful union with Christ that we've been totally reconciled and become one in Christ. James 2.23, I know this is a lot of scripture, but I told you, I warned you ahead of time. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see that? He's not called the enemy of God or the high tensions a party with God, the friend of God. He's no longer at enmity. He is a friend of God. So the Bible tells us that the first thing we received is peace with God. Now, uh, continuing on here in this uh, verse of chapter 5, verse 2, we see that we've received peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, 
This is the second thing is access here uh, that we receive by justification through faith. Now, I, I don't know if you guys picked up on this yet, but uh, hopefully you're understanding the, the situation. You're over here and all you've done is wrong toward God, okay? You've done nothing good. And God is over here and what he's done is everything to make peace with you. And you now have the opportunity to say, yes, I want to be justified and forgiven of my sin. I will bow the knee. I will humble myself and believe in you and receive that peace. Or you have the opportunity to say, not going to do it. I'd rather work my way to heaven. I would rather try to be good. Oh, you can do that. Certainly you're right. God's not going to push his way on you, but you'll never make it. It'll never happen. So I, I hope we're all understanding that God has done all the work and that by your belief in him, now you're receiving all the blessings from it. You've received peace with God. Now you're going to receive access to God. Now let me speak about access for a moment because I think there's a beautiful story from the Old Testament that might help us understand the idea of access. So turn with me over to the book of Esther. Um, we're in Esther. You know where Esther is? It's in the Old Testament. It's on page, hold on. I don't have page numbers in my Bible. Page 473. So, oh, you guys don't have my Bible. All right. So we're in Esther. And let me explain what's going on in Esther. Uh, Esther, uh, or Mordecai, uh, has discovered a plot to kill all the Jews. Uh, Haman has risen to power among, among the uh, empire, and, um, and he is uh, trying to wipe out all the Jews. He basically went to the king and said, King, here's the deal. There's these people uh, that are among your nation, and they're ready to, they're, they don't obey your laws. So we should wipe them all out. Tell you what, I'll even put money into the treasury for this. Wipe them all out. King says, great idea. Uh, and, but he's not even thinking about what's been happening. Now, Meantime, God has put Esther into the king's court, kind of his harem, and um, Esther is very beautiful, and uh, she has an opportunity to be the wife of the king. So Mordecai says, you know what, I got to get word to Esther about this, that maybe she can speak to the king. So Mordecai uh, speaks to Esther by the servant, uh, a... a um, a eunuch of Queen Esther who kind of starts doing this cloak and dagger, passing messages back and forth between Mordecai and Esther. And in verse 10, we re read of chapter 4 of Esther, Esther 4 verse 10, then Esther spoke to Hathak, that's the eunuch, and gave him a command for Mordecai. And she said, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go to the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. So Esther, as she responds to Mordecai about this dire need to get before the king and expose Haman's plan to murder all of the Jews and commit this terrible genocide, Esther says, but, but there's a problem. If I go before the king and he doesn't extend this scepter, I get put to death. I'm done. I'm gone for. 
because I'm not allowed to just appear before the king if I haven't been summoned. And, and so Mordecai tells Esther, well, listen, if you don't do this, then, then we're all going to die. And so finally Esther comes to the conclusion, well, okay, I will go, uh, but first you and all the Jews fast for three days, and I'm going to fast for three days uh, with my maids, and, and then I will go, and if I perish, I perish. So they're going to fast and pray for these three days and um, wait on the Lord. So chapter 5, verse 1 says this, now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robe, stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house. Well, the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. The king granted access to Esther. She was in dire need of access. She could have been put to death, uh, but he extended the scepter to her and gave her access. Now, Esther was an extremely beautiful woman. That's one of the reasons why the king noticed her in the first place. You and I, unfortunately, don't have all those good looks. Before God, that is. Okay, I'm not calling I, I just called the congregation ugly. Great. I, I just, just did that. <laughs> well, you're good looking, so. <laughs> anyway, didn't mean to sound that way. You and I before God, the Bible tells us that all of our sin are like filthy rags. We don't have the good looks. But what we have been extended because of this justification by faith is grace. You see, God's unmerited favor. Um, God has given us this wonderful unmerited favor through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We don't have to hope that God might just not destroy us at any moment. We can know that we've been justified by faith. So our standing is there, we have peace with God. That's our standing. And because we have peace with God, we've also now been given access to God. We don't have to wait to be summoned to God. We have the access in Jesus Christ by faith into this grace in which we stand. So I'm actually doing really good on time here. Um, so when we speak about this unmerited favor, this wonderful access of grace, um, we have received this all because of Jesus. Now, Ephesians 6 gives us this picture of spiritual warfare. You guys know what I'm talking about? Ephesians 6. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can just turn there on your own and read it later. But um, uh, Paul encourages those reading the letter to be armored up, to be prepared. And, and we get this, this picture of Paul sitting there looking at the, these Roman guards as he's under house arrest, 
and chained to them and looking at their armor. And we get this picture and we read about the fit, feed it with the, uh, the gospel of peace, the shoes of the armor, and just going all the way up the body to the belt of truth and, and the shield of the faith and the sword of the spirit. And there was that helmet. Anybody remember that helmet? The breastplate of righteousness. The helmet was what? The helmet of salvation. So let's put that together with what we're learning in Romans chapter 5 here. Therefore, having been justified by faith, so now this is your standing if you believed in God and received Jesus Christ. This is now your standing. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay? So are we arriving at this place? Or have we already arrived? Well, the word in which we stand is that we've already arrived because of Jesus Christ. We're not hoping to get there. We're already there because we believed in Jesus Christ. So you might not always feel like you're standing is before God, but let me tell you the truth, the reality of the situation is if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, this is the reality. You've been justified by faith, and now you stand there before him. And so Paul tells us, put on that helmet of salvation, having the knowledge that this is your standing before God, that you are in Christ Know this. Don't doubt. Don't, don't start saying, gee, I hope I don't fall from grace. Okay, that's a terrible, terrible statement. A fall from grace. You know, people say, oh, I fell from grace. Listen, Paul uses that term, that phrase in Galatians. But he's not speaking of stumbling or sinning. What Paul is speaking of when he speaks of falling from grace is about those who have chosen to reject the grace of God and depend upon the law for their salvation. They've rejected the grace of God. Galatians 5.4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. The idea here is if you have been saying, if you say, oh, wow, this is wonderful that Christ has done this for me, uh, it's so amazing. You're, you're over here as a spectator. It's amazing that Christ has done all these things. That's wonderful. Hey, you know what? Uh, I never got circumcised. Let's go get circumcised, right? Uh, we should all get circumcised because, uh, let me use a different illustration. Let's all quit eating ham, okay? I don't want to get myself in trouble with that, with that illustration. Uh, but, but the idea here is that these who are Judaizers, these who, who said, okay, it's great to believe in Christ, but now you've got to start following the law to keep your salvation and to stay holy. And, and, and Paul is saying, no, those, they've fallen from grace. They've rejected the grace of God because they're, they're claiming that their works can save them. Their works can keep them. When you started out by the grace of God, now you continue on by the grace of God and you'll finish by the grace of God. And, and that's what Paul wants us to understand. So we don't say we fell from grace. We put on the helmet of salvation, understanding that my standing is before God because I trusted in Jesus. 
but pastor, I don't feel great. I don't care. You get to know this. That's why we're giving you the understanding that this is your standing. We don't always feel great. But pastor, I don't feel the presence of Jesus. There was this one time in worship and it was amazing. And I was slain in the spirit. And the Lord met me and it was so great. And I haven't felt that for months. I think I've fallen from grace. No. This is your standing. So rejoice in the knowledge. I'm glad that you've had an experience with the Lord. I'm glad that, you've, that God has blessed you with such an experience where you may have felt the Lord and felt the love. Maybe even that you've been in a place where he's brought you to tears or brought you to your knees and you've just had this incredible communion with the Lord and understanding his presence. I'm so glad that God has given you, he's given me moments like that. But that's a moment. That's not every moment. It's a moment. And so now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God with that helmet of salvation put upon my head fast and clearly that I know I stand before God justified. And I have access to God by his grace. So when I'm tempted to think like, oh man, I sinned. I I can't go to God. What have I done? And the, the devil wants to condemn me for that sin, I, put, I have that helmet of salvation. I said, no, by the grace of Jesus Christ, I have access to God. And I will go and seek forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? So friends, we don't have much time left tonight. But the third thing is we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Next week, we're going to get deeper into this and continue on in Romans 5. But the idea here is that there is something that you and I are all living for and looking forward to, and that's seeing God in person, seeing him face to face, seeing him in all his glory. It's called the beatific vision. There's also something to be said, too, for what was lost in the garden when man took of that fruit. We don't know what it was, but we know it was lost. And man realized very quickly that he was naked and went and tried to make coverings for himself in the bushes. And it wasn't good enough. The hope of the glory of God. We'll get into that next week. That clothing, that, that, that wonderful vision of God, seeing God in all his glory. It's going to be amazing. But for now, I just want you to leave with these three things that God has given you because you are in Jesus Christ. And it is wonderful. You have this assurance. You can know it simply because you have chosen to put your trust in Jesus Christ and be justified by faith. How wonderful the grace of God is as he pours out the blessings of the kingdom upon each and every one of us. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your love. And and if you're in this room this evening and you haven't believed in Jesus, you haven't put your trust in him, and, and all you need to do is, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want to be a friend. I don't want to be an enemy. Make me a friend. I believe in Jesus Christ. Thank you for dying for me on that cross. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Lord, Take up residence in my heart. I'm ready to have fellowship with you. Thank you so much, God, that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Those words are true.
We thank you for your wonderful grace and the wonderful blessings that you give to us. Thank you, Lord, that you've done it all. And, and I know in my flesh I feel like I need to do something, but God, the truth is none of my works were any good. And I thank you that yours are good enough, so I'll trust in you. Pray your blessing on this congregation as we consider these things and continue to chew on this deep truth, these one and a half verses that we read tonight. Help us to just leave here just knowing that we are at peace with you, Lord, and that you love us and that we have access to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Got my announcer, so my little Bruce Buffer over there. I'm so glad you joined us tonight, and I hope uh, these truths will sink in and just encourage you this week as you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul ends the book of Ephesians with grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen.